0: Content Warning, Sex, Adultery, Cannibalism, Bleeped Out Profanity, and Existential Despair. Action! Excitement! Horror romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying canoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? I only wish Kilgar Trout were here, said Elliot, so I could shake his hand and tell him that he is the greatest writer alive today. I have just been told that he could not come because he could not afford to leave his job. And what job does society give its greatest profit? Elliot choked up, and for a few moments he couldn't make himself name Trout's job. They have made him a stock clerk in a trading stamp redemption center in Hyannis! Kilgore Trout was born in 1907, or possibly 1917, in Bermuda. His father worked for the Royal Ornithological Society and was charged with watching over the Bermuda Urn, a bird that eventually went extinct. Trout's father killed his mother, or else they both died of illness shortly after he graduated from high school. Trout became a science fiction writer, writing thousands of short stories and novels, including The Gospel from Outer Space and Oh Say Can You Smell? But for most of these he was paid doodly squat, and his stories were used mostly to fill space in pornographic magazines. He lived in poverty, working menial jobs to pay the rent until 1973, when he had an encounter with God. God's name was Kurt Vonnegut, and he revealed to Trout that he was a fictional character, the star of many of Vonnegut's novels, including God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, and Breakfast of Champions. Kilgore Trout died in a writer's colony in 1986, or possibly 2004 having finally found some success with his novels, won the Nobel Prize in Medicine, and acclaimed a hero. So it goes. And yet, despite being fictional, Kilgore Trout has had a book published. A real book. A book which appeared on the shelves of bookstores in our world, credited to Kilgore Trout. That book is Venus on the Half Shell. And strictly speaking, it has three authors. One is Trout, one is Kurt Vonnegut, and the third is Philip Jose Farmer, a writer who spent his life Blurring the lines between different fictional worlds and the real world that we live in. and Welcome to a very metafictional episode of What Mad Universe. I'm Adam Prosser. With me, as always, is Philip Rice. Hello. Hello. So today we're talking about a really oddball little curio called um, uh, Venus on the Half Shell, which, as I say, is a book that uh, is kind of a... Uh, liminal book. It, it was written as a joke in the... It, it exists as a fictional novel within the book God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater by Kurt Vonnegut credited to Kilgore Trout and there is a passage from the book which is uh, pl- uh, cited in the novel and uh, so Philip Jose Farmer took that segment and decided to write the entire novel around it and credit it to Kilgore Trout as a joke. So this is a pretty weird phenomenon. I don't know if you can say this has ever happened before exactly. Um, I don't think so. No, <laughs> there's. I'm trying to think of examples where something vaguely similar might have happened. Um, the closest I can think of is Michael Shab- uh, Michael Chabon's novel, The Amazing Adventure of Cav- Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, uh, where it was about a pair of uh, fan- fictional comics books creators who wrote a comic called The Escapist in the 40s and um eventually they did make a comic book called uh, The Escapist oh
1: okay well that sort of thing happens like uh the Jan Silent—I don't know why this came to me—but the Jan Silent Bob superhero comic. <laughs> That's that right. In the movies—they uh, yeah. actually made that. I think.
0: Right. Actually, now that I think about it, uh, Buzz Lightyear got his own actual—oh uh, yeah, cartoon that was, show that eventually. Was the Buzz Lightyear,
1: but not where he wasn't a toy; it was actually a space ranger. Right.
0: It was the it was the cartoon show that the character would have been based on in the <laughs> in the. So I
1: guess this does happen, but it's it's weird that
0: it it's still a weird. Uh, example of it. Yeah, it's it's it, it was really taking it t- to a new levels because, as I say, it was actually it came out initially uh, credited to Kilgore Trout, not mm-hmm. uh, not even to any of the authors. So
1: we should discuss the story of how this got made because it was legal; it wasn't like a bootleg <laughs> thing, right? Um, so, uh, f- do you want to take it or no? You, you okay. go ahead. So, uh, from what I read, from and this is all from farmer's perspective, so mm-hmm. uh, it could be slanted. I'm not sure, right? Um, he, uh, uh, contact, he, he tried to contact Vonnegut a few times through the mail and wasn't able to. Finally, he got his phone number mm-hmm. and called him and, uh, asked him and Vonnegut gave his tepid approval.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so he's just sort of, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> um, so, uh, um, I think he was a little more enthusiastic, like, I wasn't, maybe not enthusiastic, but he was, he, he thought it was a bit of a entertaining oh, okay, joke at first. okay, yeah. But, yeah. uh. The
1: feeling I got, and it might just be how you read Farmer's words, but I I got the impression it was kind of tepid. But Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, Farmer went away and wrote the wrote the book. Uh, he apparently uh, had, had had a writer's block before that. He was having trouble writing his own stuff, and this sort of cleared that up. He wrote mm-hmm. this in six weeks. Right. Oh. Um, and um, it was published under the name Kilgore Trout. Farmer's name was nowhere on it. Uh, and there were all these theories going around about who actually wrote it. A lot of people were saying it was Vonnegut himself, um, and uh, Farmers said a lot of people were writing to Vonnegut saying, this is your worst novel, or this is your best Best novel. novel, I don't know which one would be more insulting. Uh Um, Well, I guess worse, but... uh, (laughs) uh, It's it's kind of insulting either way, but anyway. Um, But uh, what pissed Vonnegut off was... uh, his uh, One of Farmer's friends who knew that Farmer had wrote it, uh, sorry, what was the friend's name?
0: Um, Leslie Fielder.
1: Yeah, Leslie Fielder um, had gone on William F. Buckley's talk show, mm-hmm. uh, and he was discussing uh, uh, Vonnegut, and uh, he mentioned this book and said that the author of it, Uh, would have written it whether Vonnegut gave his approval or not. Right. um, Which apparently wasn't true.
0: Well, he actually went even further. He said he would have gone and changed his name legally to Kilgore Trode if he had to to get the novel written, which was obviously a joke. (laughs) That was not true at all. But
1: but. all this pissed Vonnegut off uh, because – well, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Vonnegut actually vetoed uh, the um, possible sequel that would have been written, mm-hmm. uh, which was, uh, sorry, uh, The Son of Jimmy Valentine, which was another uh, a Kilgore Trout novel mentioned in a Vonnegut uh, book, and uh, there was apparently going to be an animated movie uh with music by the grateful dead. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Uh, what well, yeah. Well, it would have been interesting. Uh-huh. But Vonnegut said he would sue. Right. Or threatened to sue. I don't know if like yeah. uh Farmer had the film rights, but right. still he didn't want to have that hassle.
0: Yeah. I think at that point Kurt Vonnegut probably had at least a fair amount of legal uh, right to not to not have it made into a movie. Yeah. Um whether he, you know, the book is a different thing, but, uh, so that, uh, unfortunately, and, and Philip Jose Farmer had actually planned a whole bunch of different projects, uh, in which he and other people would write stories. Yeah, he write recruited stories. Philip
1: K. Dick and some other people. Yeah,
0: yeah, would be supposedly credited to fictional characters, so... Uh, he and uh, there's a character we'll talk about the novel shortly, but in Venus and a Half Shell, there is a fictional author called uh, uh, Jonathan Swift Summers, the third, the third uh, who kind of, who actually occupies basically the same role that Kilgore Trout does in mm-hmm. Connega- Kurt Vonnegut's novels, in that he's a well liked science fiction writer by the main character who keeps, keeps thinking of his stories and his novels and cites them as you know, oh, th- this is like a story that Jonathan Swift Summers had done once. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of the same. So he was going to write a story that Jonathan Swift Summers had. Oh, written. he actually
1: did write. Two oh, of, yeah, that's right. He uh, did. He wrote uh, two of the um, Ralph von Valval, who is a <laughs> yeah. um, a uh, dog uh, who was uh, gen- you know genetically altered so he could uh, talk and was super intelligent with a 200 IQ. Right. And he became a detective and. Right. A, Crime fighter, and mm-hmm. see, it's sort of like a Sherlock Holmes stand-in. Right. The um, there's some extra material in, uh, in the book uh, mm-hmm. that was published uh, a, a biography of Somers himself. Right. Um, that Farmer wrote, and uh, uh yeah, the the. V- there, there's a long description of all the yeah. different Vow-Vow stories. He said
0: he did like 18 Val vow Val novels. Yeah, and he
1: eventually <laughs> goes into space and.
0: Yeah, 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 and so so basically we're we're what five? It's inception. It's narrative inception here. Yeah, we're five or six layers deep into yeah. which, which story is fiction a fictional story contained within a fictional. But story. yeah, he
1: apparently did write those two. Uh, those two. Two of those stories, and he was going to write a third, but never got around to
0: it. Yeah, and apparently there were some other people who wrote uh, stories as other fictional characters. Most of them I hadn't heard of. But there is a really interesting one, which was uh, that—because Philip Jose Farmer was friends with Philip K. Dick. And uh, he said uh, he had uh, recruited Dick to write a story uh, credited to Hawthorne Abdinson— and Haw- Hawthorne Abdensen is th- a writer, a- the titular character from Phil K. Duke's book, The Man in the High Castle, uh, which is about a writer in an alternate reality who writes a book about another reality, which might be our own, although may also not be. Um, and anyway, that never came into being, but that's really interesting to me. He would have written, uh, one of the stories that Hawthorne Abdensen wrote, which were crucial to the plot mm. of The Man in the High and, Castle. And, um-
1: uh, once again, uh, Farmer said, uh, he went to, uh, the original writers, even the ones whose stories were in the public domain. Right. To ask for permission. Yes. And some of them turned him down, so he, right. he wasn't going to do those. So mm-hmm. that, that adds sort of credence to his, his yeah. version of events about the Vonnegut thing.
0: Right. Yeah. I think, I, I don't think, it, it, I mean, he's a huge fan of Kurt Vonnegut. He was not writing this to in any way mock or belittle, mm-hmm. uh, Kurt Vonnegut, um, I should just uh, mention, I should talk about Philip Jose Farmer here at this point uh, because he is kind of interesting. He's uh a, well he's actually he's not that interesting in terms of his life Uh, he was born in Indiana in 1918 he was he you know he worked various menial jobs but he always wanted to be a science fiction writer Uh, his second story I believe was Riders of the Purple Wage which was published in Dangerous Visions in 1967 um, and won a a Hugo and it was it's very weird it's a very strange story he has a uh, the the Dangerous Visions anthology which I'd like to talk about in a future show actually uh, was what was the pivotal for what was called uh, the um, uh, the new wave of science fiction in the sixties. Uh, all the stories in that are written in a very uh, tr- I, I want to say trippy style. Uh, it, it's, it's sort of beatnik poetry right. in some ways. Yeah, like it
1: sort of uh, would randomly insert. Uh, it's sort of all over the place in terms of the um, uh, who's speaking, and mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it would just randomly put in a sentence that's a complete non sequitur or something. Right. Yeah, like it's obviously it has some. Th- thematic reason, but I couldn't make Hedner Tell some of it. Yeah,
0: well it's a post beatnik uh, like basically it was bringing you know, literature with Jack Kerouac and uh, William S. Burroughs had kind of been transformed as as a much more uh, you know, stream of consciousness crazy, uh, much less rigid style and uh, Harlan Ellison created Dangerous Visions partly to sort of get that style into science fiction because science fiction was very nuts and bolts, uh, you know, pragmatic, rational, oh, it's all about the quote realism, unquote. Uh, and that was a series of very strange, uh, trippy stories that were often cutting edge. So it was trying to be kind of what literature at the time was doing mm-hmm. in the context of science fiction. Uh, actually the sequel eventually featured a story by Kurt Vonnegut as well. Okay. Called, I believe the, the great space. <laughs> f- <laughs> uh, and, um, But uh, anyway, so Farmer had a story called "Rise of the Purple Wage." Anyway, so that was uh, one of his, honestly, one of his early stories. And Ellison really, uh, um, what's the word, indulged uh, Farmer uh, very strongly uh, into going into writing. And uh, since that won the Hugo, that kind of got him on board. So Farmer seems to have been really into the idea of uh, working with other people's uh, stories and trying uh, to... Well,
1: even that even that story mentions Pellucidar and Barsoom. and Right, the, Purple Wage, mean. Yeah, Purple Wage, yeah, yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, he's always... And he, uh, Farmer's probably best known these days for creating what's known as the Wold Newton universe. Which I'm sure we'll be discussing in a future episode, but we
1: need to cover some other things first, I think. Right,
0: yes. Yeah, it was his attempt to sort of... Uh, it, it's kind of a proto version of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, yeah. which we... Keep mentioning on this show, but it was, uh, it was sort of his earlier version of, uh, tying in the genealogies of all these famous adventure characters, Sherlock Holmes, Doc Savage, Tarzan, uh, revealing that they all had their, uh, origins. And I believe he was saying they were all part of the same family yeah. if you go back far enough. Um, and there, I believe it was a, a meteor strike in it, medieval England. Yeah. But- it,
1: uh, it caused the family to become irradiated. And right. that's what makes them special.
0: Right. So, uh, uh, so he created this giant cosmology, and it was uh, uh, two novels, I believe, that really fleshed it out. One was called Tarzan Alive, and the other one was called Doc Savage, His Apocalyptic Life.
1: He also wrote The Secret Log of Phileas Fogg.
0: Oh, yeah, The Other Log of Phineas Fogg. Or, yeah, yeah, Phileas sorry, Fogg. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Where yeah. he's an alien or something. Yeah, it's the all all the stuff that was left out of uh, around the world in yeah. eighty days. Which yeah.
1: uh, once again, you know, we talked about in the Saturn and Ferrando episode. I wonder if they yeah. mash up at all.
0: Yeah, it would be that would be interesting for sure. So anyway, there's a whole braft uh, of literature, but this is what Farmer and Farmer's a talented writer uh, himself as well. I I believe, but he's clearly he's he really likes to riff on other people's work. So that's what oh, he what also he was wrote a,
1: an Oz story, a story set in Oz.
0: Right, yeah, he he, he wrote a, I'm, uh, he wrote pastiches of a, a whole bunch yeah. of different writers, especially at this particular period when he was writing Venus in a Half Shell. So anyway, Venus in a Half Shell, uh, is Phil, do you want to describe the plot of Venus in a Half Shell? Um, okay. <laughs> uh,
1: it's about the last man, the last human male in the universe mm-hmm. uh, who has to travel from planet to planet uh, to learn the... Answer to the question of life, the universe, and everything, which ultimately turns out to be disappointing.
0: Right. Sound familiar? Yes, (laughs) that's right. Uh, When you read this, and as many, many people have observed, it's uh, very hard to uh, get away from the fact that it... Reads a lot like uh, the the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Uh, or at least the the basic premises are the same. Mm. The feel is quite different. Yeah, Um, there is, uh, and uh, Adams was compared to Vonnegut a lot back in the day uh, as well, um, because Adams would have all have the same little parenthetical digressions where he'd have a little mini story. Uh, In Adams' case, it was always in the. the actual Hitchhiker's Guide would have an entry on something and it would mm-hmm. be basically a mini humorous short story and he'd go back to it. Whereas with uh, Vonnegut, it would be a story by Kilgore Trout. And in Venus on a Half Shell, it's usually a short story by Jonathan Swift Summers uh, that provide these little parentheticals. But it is, yeah, it's the the last human on Earth. Earth gets uh, sterilized by aliens.
1: Yeah, it gets uh, flooded, actually. Right. And uh, so uh, the main character... Uh, It was was just called the Space Wanderer in the original Vonnegut text, but here he gets a name. Simon um, Wagstaff. Simon Wagstaff. Yes. Which is apparently one of the uh, names that Jonathan Swift went by. Okay. Uh, One of his uh, uh, pen names.
0: Oh, that's kind of cool. The original Jonathan Swift. Oh. Well, that's and of course the initials are SW, same as Space Wanderer. So that's he has a big SW on his shirt. So Uh yeah, yeah, that's kind of clever. I I didn't realize he he was working on that many levels when he named him that. But yeah, so he goes around and it, and it's very much Farmer working in what I would describe as Vonnegut style or an attempt sort of. uh, He
1: doesn't use the same because Vonnegut uses very short sentence, like declarative sentences. Right, and it. Uh, Farmer in the uh, in the forward that I read said he intentionally didn't try to do that because it's it's Kilgore Trout writing not Vonnegut. Right, yes. But it is obviously very Vonnegut in its themes. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's very deterministic Mm -hmm. uh, as uh, say um, Slaughterhouse-Five is. Mm -hmm. Um, It's absurdist. It's absurdist and uh, um, uh, Farmer himself said that uh, he believed in free will and all that so he was sort of working from the opposite of his own opinions on some things right
0: yeah he was moving he was working in someone else's uh 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 mode his yeah uh, but it, it's um yeah it's got the same thing that Vonnegut does where there'll be like some enormous tragedy and it'll be played off as absurd mm-hmm. uh you know the human race gets wiped out by aliens who want to uh uh, clean it up, basically. They yeah. they literally flood it with water, so it'll be... What was their motivation again? It was all the perverts coming out of Earth was something like no, that? No, no,
1: that was something else. Um, there were a lot of perverts coming out of Earth. <laughs> but no, it was because of... Um, uh, it was just... I think it was environmental things.
0: Right. He was just... Yeah, that's right. They just kept wrecking their environment, so he'd wash them out, and then they'd... Yeah. So they'd, a few million years, they'd go back to uh, yeah. basics.
1: But and, uh, they, they appear towards the end of the story and they've they've given up all that and they apologize to him right because he's the he becomes hoon, hoon immortal, hoon but, they're called yeah. the aliens who do that yeah
0: um and he's uh he he um he survives simon survives by because they were in egypt when it happened and a mummy case containing uh uh the 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 pharaoh the biblical pharaoh uh pops up out of uh out of the water and he's able to grab a lift with a dog uh who he names anubis who he names anubis and who eats the mummy to survive uh until they land on mount ararat and of course that's reenacting the flood and everything um he does get a spaceship from a, a guy who's shown up uh who's shown up back on Earth after having been away for a few hundred years and only mm-hmm. wants to know the outcome of the what is it, twenty twenty six seventy four World Series? Yeah.
1: <laughs> which ended in scandal, so there was no winner. Yes, exactly. And he kills himself because of that. Yeah.
0: Because he's so depressed, which is of course foreshadowing the whole, you don't, you don't really want to hear the answers cause they'll depress mm-hmm. you basically. That's the theme of the novel. And then anyway, so then he goes off and he has a series of adventures in different planets, which are, you know, little Swifty and parables about all the, the, the weird. Yeah. Uh, he
1: becomes, he drinks an immortality elixir. That's an important plot point yeah. because he's immortal. So he, he
0: actually lives through like thousands of years in this, in this right. book. Right. Yeah. He, in one planet, it's a. Uh, a planet where uh, everyone's immortal and everyone contains th- s- their ancestors within their own cells, so their ancestors are always fighting to take control of their body. Basically, yeah. They and were- a,
1: the ans- they've they've developed a uh, system where the ancestor gets a day every like century or something. Yeah. So they spend all their time just having sex. Yeah. And they have to they have to work during the day, but they they work as much as they have to. Because that's how the because society would fall apart otherwise. Right. But then they spend all their night drinking and <laughs> f***ing. Right.
0: Um, but, uh, yeah, no, and, and there's a bunch of... Uh, but he, the main uh, thrust of it, as it were, uh, is that he meets um, the titular Venus on a half shell, uh, who is a robot woman named SchwarkTap. Which
1: is an anagram of patchwork. Patchwork, yep. A lot of the names are either anagrams or... Like a German word that's mm-hmm. misspelled or something like that, right?
0: Or pseudo anagrams, yeah, where <laughs> he it sounds like they rearranged the letters, but they didn't really. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so she becomes his uh, lover, and it's about their uh, their adventures going around the world together, and the, the universe, the universe, yeah, the universe. Um, she she ends up, she's actually they more or less flat out say she's smarter than him, and she knows a lot more than he and actually figures things out way before he does. Mm. But she never wants to say it because she doesn't want to bruise his ego, Well, basically. she was
1: designed for a specific purpose, to please, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, her master, basically. Right. But then she got a bump on her head and she was able to get To free herself. Right. Um, But she's designed to sort of want to be a
0: people pleaser, basically. Right. Yeah, she she developed free will. She had a, a master who, you know, she was there. One of many androids who was serving this one solipsistic uh society where everyone had androids and uh, and they would say, Oh yeah, we love you, Master, you're great, but the master got just got angrier and angrier because he knew they were just programmed to say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but he couldn't bear to deprogram them because he knew they'd probably hate him once he did that. And she got accidentally damaged so she was able to develop free will and get away from him, basically. But she's still yeah, she's basically trying to keep Simon happy. But they do actually love each other, uh, in, in, in a way, but they, but, you know, when they spend centuries together, they end up, uh, a- including at one point being in prison for like 300 years yeah. in a, uh, in a, uh, society where basically everyone ends up going to jail in that yeah, entire society. Yeah, except the president. Except
1: the president. And then the president's, uh, yeah. uh, lineage. So just the president is the only person not in jail, but it, it describes the society as running pretty well from that point on. <laughs> Because yeah. everybody's in, you know, in jail right. or working for the purpose of, you know, right, jail or yeah,
0: yeah or or. Or, <laughs> yeah, basically the entire society is now a prison, basically. Yeah. Uh, and then what, but he actually gets out through a loophole at, at that point uh, and then busts her out and they take off again. But at that point, they're kind of sick of each other because they've literally spent like several centuries in a small cell mm. uh, <laughs> with eventually other families who move in yeah, and stuff. so who
1: have affairs and things yeah. with each
0: other. and yeah. It's all a big mess. Yes, and but and the main thing is he's spending the the, the uh, story searching for. There's this uh, race uh, called the. Oh God, do we have do we have I, their name? I
1: wrote down most of the races. Uh, one second,
0: uh, which ones? The ancient race that built the towers. Oh, uh, the uh, uh, Glare and Galf. Glower and Galf. Okay. Glower and Galf. Okay. Okay. And they were they were the uh, yeah the they they they're, they're they, giant cockroaches. Right. They built and ancient towers that are on basically every planet in the universe except, except Earth. Earth because uh, they.
1: Uh, what was the reason again?
0: Well, originally they said it, the joke was they didn't find that system to have much potential and didn't yeah. think it was going to be very interesting. But then later he said, "No, we just didn't get around to it." Basically. Oh, and
1: it turns out these are the oldest beings in the universe. They were created by God.
0: Right. Uh, well, dire- t- their, their their progenitor was created by God. He was yeah. one of the few exist remaining uh, beings that. Yeah, still yeah, existed. but their their
1: species was created directly by God, mm-hmm. and then they travel to other planets, and their uh, germs and feces cause life on those planets to form.
0: Right. So they know he kn- he once you know he starts to realize that's the. You know that's the person he can go to because they, their 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 oldest member knew God personally. He was created yeah. by God, uh, so that's the climax of the book is him finding that one ancient. Well, we're skipping thing. ahead a bit, yes yeah. uh, quite yeah. a bit. Well, I mean it's it's a series of, uh, of anecdotes and, yeah. and stories. I
1: liked uh, the section that's set on the uh, the blimp planet, right? Yes. Where, um, the the females are uh, giant pyramids mm-hmm. uh, who just graze on grass, and the males are sort of blimps mm-hmm. who attach themselves to the females at night to get food and sex. Right, and uh, he sort of um, he causes the uh, uh, sort of gender equality or an attempt at gender equality in the, in the yeah uh, by um, encouraging the uh, the the uh, females to ask to be you know, taken on flights and things, but it causes problems, uh, because they can't carry them and the females aren't grazing anymore and all this. Mm-hmm. So he suggests that, uh, they, um, make it. And it, the, the society is monogamous, even though they cheat on each other all the time, but they're forwardly monogamous, but he suggests that they go to, uh, two males for every female so they can carry them easier. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Gets chased off and referred to as a sodomite.
0: Yeah, <laughs> for for generations afterwards, yeah. they keep calling him Simon the sodomite. He gets chased off the planet with fury by the, yeah. the once he suggests that, and then uh, he tries to meet this other great pilgrim on a planet where everyone has tails. Uh, he and, gets one surgically attached because right. he's forced to because yeah. yeah which is funny because it's kind of a libertarian planet where everyone is supposed to have the absolute amount of free will they can and if anyone doesn't like it they can go to the wild zone yeah uh, and they said so then we don't have to build prisons we don't have to build uh, we don't have to have police or anything because anyone who disagrees with our society just goes to the wild zone to live as they like and sounds like and we've got we've built a wall to keep them to protect ourselves and so like how many people do you have protecting the wall uh 300 thousand. It's like yeah, yeah. Okay. So it would
1: have been like <laughs> they save money on jailers, but then have more people guarding the wall than they would right. have
0: jailers. Exactly. Um, and so yeah, he goes kind of on a quest. He's actually fighting with Chork Tap at that point. Yeah. And uh, they, uh, so she doesn't go with him, but he says, "I'm going to go and find." So he out goes this. to the
1: holy man, who turns out to be a cannibal, <laughs> right? With a sort of Nietzschean yeah. or like pseudo Nietzschean, you know, like. Right. nothing matters and, yeah. or it's, nihilist it, rather.
0: Yeah, well he has, he has the attitude that uh, God, he says, I've found that God created uh, the world just to amuse himself and he doesn't care and he, he seems to get more enjoyment out of pain than pleasure because there's so much more of pain than there is of pleasure and so much of hatred than there is of love. So I try to make get, put on a good show and anyone who comes here, I tell them this and then I kill them. And Simon's hears that and he's like, you know, yeah, but I've read this, Theory in a million books. This is not insightful at all. You're yeah. an extremely boring person, basically. Yeah. So, but he
1: does get his eye eaten.
0: Yeah, he gets he gets well, he gets an axe oh, in the sorry, eye. Sorry, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, no the the his he has a pet owl as well named Athena as yeah. well as Anubis and the Anubis and Athena come to his rescue and Anub uh, Athena rips out the the guy's eye, I believe. Um, or uh, he he has a servant as well, yeah,
1: who axes his eye and then. Mm-hmm. Athena saves him. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Anyway. But yes, yeah, so he he has a bunch of the, the 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 details of the plot's narrow scrapes are not that important because mm-hmm. it's all absurdist, of course, yeah. and everything's kind of ridiculous. I actually thought um, uh, Chork Tap was going to save him. I thought she would come flying in and say because yeah. that that would be, that would have been the obvious thing to do. But he kind of saves he more or less saves himself and then gets Chork Tap to take him off the planet at that point. So um, anyway, just a series of and then there's also the idea that. Um, if you travel fast in the speed of light, you can go something like 69,000 times faster in the speed it of light. It was
1: 69 specifically, yeah. yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of sex in this book, and a lot of it is fairly juvenile. Yeah, well, I, I, th-
1: I think the joke was that uh, Kilgore Trout was writing for pornographic magazines. So, right. So th- a lot of that... That was intentional. Right. But reading uh, The Purple Wage afterwards,
0: mm-hmm. nah, it's probably Farmer. Well, no, it, no, you're right. It is, I think, the f- with the first time. I think it is tied oh, okay. into the fact. But it was also just the 60s. Like, that yeah. was the thing when you were writing, you know, uh, absurdist, uh, shocking literature. Which he actually, uh, he parodized. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, in uh, Vonnegut's novel, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, uh Rose, Mr Rosewater who's this philanthropist who's always giving money to people and not really helping their lives out he's trying to help everyone and he never helps anyone uh, but he gives he f- he finds this one brilliant poet I've forgotten his name who uh he's like oh you've got this the most brilliant you're you, nobody nobody's heard of you you're poor you're broke but you're such a brilliant writer I'm gonna write you a check right now for thousands of dollars so you can continue to do what you want. And the guy's like, oh my god, what do you want me to write about? He's like, no, 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 you write whatever you want. I'm not going to tell you what to write about. And the guy breaks down crying and flees and has a whole... B- anyway, and he, he eventually sends him a manuscript and Mr. Rosewater's completely completely forgotten about this guy and doesn't remember who he is at all because, you inspired me, so I'm going to write these daring truths that society doesn't want to hear. And and inside and immediately it's just a bunch of sex scenes basically. <laughs> and uh ah, Vonnegut so that reminds me I think that's kind of parodying uh the way writers were in the 60s they were all like I
1: haven't read Rosewater I've read a few Vonneguts but uh not that one
0: well I but I think it's general because Rosewater was written in 65 or thereabouts Mm -hmm. and I think that's just that was literature at the time we just talked about you know the new wave of literature and the way literature had shifted up Yeah, but a lot of it was just we can write about sex now man (laughs) and about how crazy the world is man and it was all hippie kind (laughs) of writing basically and uh so that has, this was written in, uh, 75, 73, 75. I believe it was four. Okay. 74. Um, but, uh, <laughs> fell on either end of that one. Um, but, um, yeah, he, he, uh, he wrote about, yeah, it's, it's got that spirit in the water. Now mm. it's a co- it's actually very funny. I would oh, say. Oh, I
1: liked it a lot, actually. It was, yeah. it was interesting. And a lot of the, uh, the alien species were
0: interesting and, right. um, yeah. yeah. Oh, and the, there are the wheeled alien species oh, yeah, as yeah. well, which are kind of fun. They're always they, just...
1: I, I had trouble picturing them, but yeah, they're aliens that are just wheels and they they um, they just travel on this barren planet. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, there's a leader in every pack and when you die, you become the leader in y- of your own pack and yeah, uh, you just continue rolling forever and you don't get flat tires or yeah. whatever. Yeah, if
0: anyone gets a flat tire, they're left by the wayside to yeah. die. It's obviously kind of a metaphor for, you know, 80s style. You know, no, you got to keep going, man. You got to keep reaching for the brass ring. To, mm-hmm. You know, they're all commentaries on yeah. hu- human society in different ways, of course. As I say, it's it's kind of Jonathan Swift yeah. um, kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I, I, mentioned Kurt Vonnegut earlier, just, uh, you know, he's, like I say, he wrote, um, Breakfast of Champions and he wrote, uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, probably his best known work is Slaughterhouse-Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I say, Kurt, Va- uh, Kilgore Trout was a character who Vonnegut created, uh, uh Vonnegut literally said this at one point, um. It's it's a lot more fun to just describe a story in a few paragraphs, (laughs) and than to have to actually write the whole story. Oh
1: yeah, Farmer was uh, actually talked about this in one of the forwards or afterwards. There were a lot of supplementary material in this book, but uh, uh, there was there was a writer who just did a um, I can't remember who this is terrible, but uh, who just did an entire book of summaries of other of fictional
0: books that didn't exist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exa- that was they, that was yeah, the, probably yeah. inspired by uh by Vonnegut and mm-hmm. Trout. But yeah, Trout Trout exists. Trout is uh Vonnegut's. By the way, uh he's a a reportedly a parody of Theodore Sturgeon, hence the fish yeah. title in their name. Uh but of course he also kind of became Vonnegut himself as the series went on. Um and Vonnegut and Sturgeon were friends apparently. And mm-hmm. it's true Sturgeon was um he doesn't write anything like Trout, I would say, but he definitely has some similarities, he's kind of an absurdist He again, he wasn't afraid to write about Sex and shocking and stuff He has a very humanist impulse and, I mean, Vonnegut is famously A very humanist writer as well But Sturgeon was very he was a pretty uplifting writer in general, I would say. Um, when he created Trout, Sturgeon hadn't really gotten a successful career, but he ended up becoming uh, fairly successful within the science fiction uh, field. But anyway, uh, it's, Trout exists basically in Vonnegut's stories to uh, to provide little parentheticals about different stories and, and uh little short stories within the larger short story. Um, apparently he is, I believe his last appearance was in Timequake. Yeah. Which you that one, and yeah. I have not read. It's
1: been a while, but yeah, a lot of it's, a lot of it's very, uh, autobiographical. I mean, literally about Vonnegut. Oh, but really?
0: it, it, he also works Trout into there quite a bit. Right. Have you read Breakfast of Champions? Yeah. Yeah. Because Breakfast of Champions is kind of crucial because he basically, uh, Kilgore Trout is one of the main characters. And yeah. It's, it, it's about Kilgore Trout, uh, a guy named Wayne uh, Dwayne Hoover, Uh Dwayne Hoover excuse me um, ends up uh, reading one of his books and he was kind of breaking down and that oh yeah the book was him. about
1: uh, was uh, written from the point of view of God talking to the only sentient being in the universe, and everybody else was a machine.
0: Right, the Trout book was. Yeah, yeah
1: the yeah. Trout book was. So, uh, that's basically the NPC meme now. Yeah. Like, if we're going r- to get into politics. My God,
0: yes. Well, it was, uh, I mean, in this, in the book, the idea is that Hoover is breaking down, you know, his marriage is falling apart, he's just angry at the world and everything, and when he reads that book, it tips him over the edge into... Like, Actually, uh, a violent a rampage. A violent rampage. He, he beats up his son. and Right. And and a lot of he yeah, a, a lot bunch of, people, of people, but his son included. Yeah, and he, and and uh, that was Vonnegut basically going. You know, we writers, we try to influence the world. We try to put out good things, but. We can write things that can influence people in horrible ways and cause, you know, horrible problems. And uh, so at the end of the book, literally, Kurt Vonnegut writes himself meeting Kilgore Trout and saying, look, I've been writing about you for a couple decades now. Uh, I'm going to give you the the nicest thing a a writer can give to his creation and I'm going to set you free. Uh so he basically says you have free will you can do whatever you want now and i think he said all i'm going to say is you'll have some more success from now on you'll have a bit more uh popularity but that's all i can do for you um and then he continued to appear in his books too which is yeah. kind of interesting but i believe that's why in time quake which is about uh a period people hit a a, a
1: 10 year period Where uh, basically time repeats itself and people have to live through their lives again. Right. And without any control over it. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, in that story, uh, Trout actually writes a uh, memoir about
0: the timequake that becomes quite popular. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, again, I haven't read it, but I've heard about it. Uh, Trout is, once the timequake ends, suddenly everyone's... Uh, basically, they've been operating on remote control for like 10 years, so they don't know how to oh, d- yeah, use their own free will. Oh yeah, crash and stuff. Yeah, yeah, they don't know how to use their own free will, and Trout's the only one who comes out of that going, okay, free will, and he s- tries to save yeah. everyone's life and everything, basically. So, because he's, again, he was granted true free will by God, aka Kurt oh, Okay, I didn't make that connection, <laughs> I, but yeah. that. Yeah, I believe that was the idea there, but um,
1: you, you mentioned that uh, um, Trout had different birth dates and right. different stories, and that, that goes to a lot of I guess we're just talking about Vonnegut now, but yeah. uh, say, uh, Tralfamador, which is a planet that appears in a number of Vonnegut stories, Some, but it's always sort of mutually exclusive ways. Uh, the most famous example, of course, is uh, uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, mm-hmm. where they're uh, green sort of plungers with a hand on top right. and uh, an eye in the hand, mm-hmm. and they see all of time at once, so they experience time non-linearly, right. and um, they can see the whole of the universe stretched out Right. Uh, from beginning to end. Um, and they're very fatalistic because because of that.
0: Right. Yeah, that's right. They can see everything that's going to happen and they don't have any, again, they don't have any control over their actions because yeah. they know what's going to happen from yeah. beginning to end.
1: They, they end up con- destroying the universe at the end.
0: Right. Or not at the end of the book, but
1: they know that they're going to be destroying the universe through an accident. So. Right.
0: In like a million years yeah. or something. Yeah.
1: Um, well, how are the
0: Trelfamadorians? Are they described differently in another
1: book? Yeah, in Sirens of Titan. Yes. Um, the uh, the Martian spaceships are based off of Trelfamadorian design. Okay. That's uh, Roomford. Uh, this I don't want to describe the whole plot of the book, but uh, mm-hmm. ba- in this, they're machines, they're robots with uh, three legs, uh, three eyes, and a, uh, a skin-like covering that they can take off that looks like a uh, tangerine peel. Okay. And uh, they they don't experience time that way. They seem to experience they're immortal, but uh, uh, and they they the history is sort of it doesn't. One could say that one species built the other because they're robots. Okay, but that doesn't work within the uh, story of of uh, Sirens of Titan, where right. all their their home planet is just robots, and the species that built them died out long ago. Right. Yeah. So they all these. So he uses the word, and it comes up in other books, and usually as a uh, hypothetical, or I think in Rosewater, Wikipedia said it was a hypothetical in Rosewater. Mm -hmm. Like he says, hypothetically, there's this planet out there called Tralfamador. Oh, okay. Or something like that. Yeah. And it's mentioned- Well, Trout
0: wrote about the Tralfamadorians, if I'm not mistaken, but then they actually do exist in the world of Um, of Champions.
1: So, uh... And uh, it's mentioned in Time Quake briefly, so it appears in other stories, but the main two are Slaughterhouse-Five and Sirens of Titan, mm-hmm. but they don't fit together, that, like, they don't work together. Right.
0: So it's just a word that get liked. Yeah, there's no, there's no co- true continuity and in fact uh, Farmer in one of the forwards to uh, Venus on a Half Shell uh, is basically works very hard to assemble a biography of Kilgore Trout the way he does with various other characters uh, and of course it's impossible because his uh, his uh, the biographical details change very much from book to book. Mm. Uh, there's you know what year he was born in, uh, what year he's even going to die, uh, whether he has a child or not. He supposedly in one book has a book has a child named Leon Trotsky Trout, uh, who is <laughs> never mentioned in, in any of the other books. Which book was that? Uh, that is in Galapagos, I believe. Okay, it's okay. from his viewpoint of uh, Leon Trotsky Trout. Oh, okay, um, but again, he doesn't show up in any of the other stories and uh it's not clear you know whether that's anything um anyway uh but yeah it's 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 you know, Vonnegut is cheerfully doing the Simpsons thing of whatever is useful I'm gonna yeah. make, as a joke, whereas Farmer's the exact opposite, he's the yeah. kind of guy who has to have everything fall into a, he did this for uh, Tarzan's son Korak, he wrote an essay in which he actually tried to really nail down when Korak was born, how old he was based on the clues from the stories, which don't necessarily line up that clearly yeah. he's like, well we can ignore this because the author was exaggerating, he does a lot yeah. of that kind of thing, which is is I mean, and of course it's a fun intellectual thing i don't think farmer was sitting there getting really mad that he couldn't make the, the yeah. details fit um but oh you know. i do that
1: all the time when i mix stories together into one universe right yeah uh, you have to ignore you have to ignore certain things because yeah. uh, especially by different authors like if you're doing a league of extraordinary gentlemen sort of thing yeah which farmer was doing right um you have to ignore certain details in order to yeah to sort of just make things fit together in a way that
0: yeah, that makes sort sense. of coherent. Yeah, exactly, and uh, which is which is fine. And I I don't. Again, I don't think Farmer was, <laughs> but he, you can see Farmer is the kind of guy like he would. He can write this giant essay trying to lock down all the details of a fictional universe where you know you can argue. Okay, you you may be going a little too far there. <laughs> oh, I, I like that sort of thing, but yeah. other Philip. Um, but you mentioned Sirens of Titan, and actually, that's actually interesting because Kilgar, Tr- of course, Kilgar Trout in all of Vonnegut's novels, and Sirens of Titan is the pulpiest novel he's, he's ever not written. that, though. Uh, no, he's not, but Sirens of Titan uh, is probably the pulpiest novel that Vonnegut ever wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very much about, you know, it's got... His other stories are sort of absurdist. They have a claim to being, you know, more literary, but Sirens of Titan is very much a space adventure type of story where he goes around the, uh. the solar system. Yeah, um, it's
1: got philosophical stuff in it. But, oh yeah, it, yeah, it's
0: it's a good, it's a great book. It's well written and everything like that. But it does show you how Vonnegut, because if you've ever read some of Vonnegut's short fiction, um, w- well, at least Welcome to the Monkey House, which was mostly written around the time of Sirens of Titan, I believe. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's much more, he was writing short science fiction stories for the science fiction market. And it feels a little less like the Vonnegut we come to know later, mm-hmm. uh, because it's much more about concepts in the way he describes Kilgore Trout's stories being, he, 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 in, in, especially in God bless you, Mr. Rosewater, he describes Trout's novels as being, oh, they're these great ideas, but he wasn't a great writer. Yeah. And that's, that's, he's sort of the stand-in for all of science fiction for, uh, for Trout and Vonnegut, for Vonnegut. Just, that's what, uh, that's what science fiction is it's all these great ideas that people and people don't take this genre very seriously mm-hmm. because it's badly written it's often silly it's got lots it's juvenile and, por- and literally making it pornographic in the case of kilgar Trout's uh thing that's the whole point is kilgar Trout's books are never in print they're only found in like uh porno bookstores and things like that he's never taken seriously but he feels there's some fundamental interesting truth buried in there Um, and that's just interesting because I like this whole way that uh, there's this very blurry line between pulp and quote literature sometimes yeah
1: um, so back to Venus on a Half Shell, because we didn't discuss the ending. Right, yes. Should we spoil
0: it? Or? Yeah, we're okay. going to sp- we're going to spoil the ending of Venus on a Half Shell, if you guys <laughs> want to hear it.
1: It. I would recommend the book, so. Yeah, it's a good check book. Check it out.
0: Um. So. But,
1: um, yeah, basically, uh, he asked God, or he asked the guy who had known God, mm-hmm. the, uh, the co- giant cockroach. Yeah. You know, why would God do all this if he knew there was all, going to be all this suffering and, you know. Just horribleness in the universe, and the answer is why not?
0: Yep, that's it. That's, that's how the, the end book, of the book. Ends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why not? It was the idea that God probably erased his, and it was it wasn't that God abandoned us. It was he that God forgot about us because uh, he deliberately forgot. Yeah, about
1: del- us. well, he uh, he occasionally erases his omniscience mm-hmm. to keep things from getting boring. Right, and he obviously. Just went off and created another universe and forgot us. Right. at some point, on it, you know, like he erased his. Yeah, he, 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 he had promised he'd come
0: back, but then he forgot about us. Right, he deliberately erased his memory, uh, so that because if he knew everything, everything just becomes incredibly boring and terrible. So he he erased his memory of us for that reason. But he'll he'll get back to us someday, possibly at the end of the universe. Basically, yeah. <laughs> There's
1: also a, a funny idea in the in the books. The you were. Getting to this earlier, I think the 69 drives mm-hmm. it goes 69 times the speed of light. Yes, they're caused. Uh, it's uh, actually draining the the s- sentient suns from another
0: universe. Right. So the faster you go, the louder the screaming is. Right. And then by the end of the book, uh, they've they find they've drained the last of the sentient suns. So nobody can do space travel anymore. Yeah. So, and so he's stuck so, with yeah the, the cockroach uh, people at the end. Yeah. The Gorn golfs or so. whatever. <laughs> Uh, very hard to pronounce their name.
1: It's apparently a German word or something.
0: Yeah, it's a riff on a German yeah. word. Anyway, so uh, yeah, it's it, it is a very interesting novel for that regard. And like like I say, it it it's hard not to notice because it's a the Last Earthling looking for the life, the universe, and everything. Uh, the parallel to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, all it, it's 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 just occupies a really interesting intersection between all these different uh, aspects of pulp and literature of multiple different writers, humor and seriousness. Um, It seems actually weirdly influential, even though you barely hear about it nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's. And it's very short. It's very (laughs) short. It's a quick read. Uh, I would say check it out if you're interested. Me too. Um, And uh, Philip, uh, Jose Farmer is generally a good writer as well. And of course, Kurt Vonnegut was a, one of the literary titans, not the sirens, but the titans (laughs) of our time. So I think we'll uh, we'll be wrapping it up here. This podcast was conceived and hosted by Philip Rice and Adam Prosser, the protagonists of Evelyn Korn's Pulitzer Prize-winning 2034 novel, Who Are Those Guys? It was produced by Alex Ross, the villain of the iconic Two-Fisted Podcaster series of short stories. And the theme song was written by Jack Fierick, a minor character in Jonathan swift Summers' comic opera Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to Die. If you've enjoyed this, please check out our Patreon. Subscribers get to listen to the show a week early. Plus, you get lots of other neat stuff, including our comics and art. Uh, the Patreons are, again, Adam Prosser and Philip Rice at patreon.com. Those and our Facebook page and Instagram are linked to at neversleepsnetwork.com slash series slash what mad universe. And you can subscribe to our RSS feed there as well. So, good night to all you characters out there, real and fictional, and may you find your authors someday.